you so much that you have come as our Emmanuel, as God with us. Thank you, O God, that you loved us in such a way that you would go as far as leaving your place in heaven, coming and dwelling among us to help us to see God, but also to be our model of how to follow after God. So in this season of Advent, Lord Jesus, we pray that our eyes would be fixed on you in new and fresh ways. Help us, Lord, to never grow bored with this story. Yes, it is an ancient story, but the beauty is timeless and rich. So teach us over and over and over again to see your love, God, to experience your love, and to pass on that love to others. Lord, we need you. And so we pray that you would continue to visit with us now by your Spirit. It's in your name we pray, and we say amen. Amen. Good morning, Sanctuary. Um, We missed it by a few days, but happy Thanksgiving. And then at the very same time, happy Advent Sunday. We are excited here uh, to kick off this Advent season. I'm going to thank Pastor Rose for uh, talking a little bit about Advent as she kicked off um, our time this morning. And we're going to spend some more time today in this message. Um, and then over the next three weeks, talking about what Advent mean, means historically, um, and then what it means for us today and into our future together. This morning, again, marks the start of this season that we call Advent. And perhaps you're here today, uh, and you're like me, and you grew up in a church where that celebration was not as much emphasized. Um, I had been, I've been a Christian for my whole life uh, and have barely, rarely in my childhood heard of this thing called Advent. But it is a, a celebration that is critically important to the Christian church. And so I've been excited over these last eight years here at Sanctuary to increasingly learn more about what Advent is and what it means for the life of the church. Perhaps you're here today and you didn't grow up in church at all. So this thing, Advent, doesn't actually mean a lot to you yet. It's a newer concept. It's something that you haven't perhaps even heard before. So I'm excited to share some time over the next couple weeks talking about what Advent actually is. And then perhaps you're here today and you've been a part of more Advent celebrations than you care to even recall. If that's you, wherever you fall on the spectrum, my prayer is that as we walk together and as we study God's Word together over these next four weeks, that you would still experience Jesus in a real and fresh way. My, my prayer for us um, as a church is that in this season of Advent, that the story of Jesus' birth would come alive for us in a deep and meaningful way as we journey together towards Christmas. See, when we talk about celebrating Advent, what we're actually doing is marking the season, particularly the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. And here at the Sanctuary Covenant Church, as we are a worshiping community here on the north side of Minneapolis, we join with millions of Christians all around the globe as we simultaneously remember and anticipate. 
That's, that's what we're doing in this season of Advent. We are remembering and we are anticipating. When I talk about Advent as a time of remembering, what I'm saying is that in this season of Advent, we recount the historical truth that God sent Jesus into the world as the Messiah. That, that's what we celebrate in the first Advent. But not only are we remembering that God loves us in such a way that he sent his son Jesus into the world, we're not simply remembering that. We're also at the very same time anticipating that just as Jesus came in the first Advent, we are acknowledging the reality that we are longing for, we are waiting for, we are eagerly awaiting the second coming of Jesus, which will bring the ultimate justice, the ultimate peace, the ultimate restoration of all of creation. Amen. So in this season of Advent, if, you, if you've never heard of it before and you're wondering what Advent is all about, Advent is about the work of Christians to remember that Christ has come, and to anticipate, anticipate the fact that Christ is coming again. Advent is, in the life of the Christian church, a season of bearing with the reality that the one who came will come again in full power. In this season, our Advent theme here at Sanctuary, as you'll see on the screens behind me, is called Christmas on the Block. Christmas on the Block. When we talk about Christmas on the block over the course of Advent this year, we are looking at the impact that the good news of Jesus' birth holds for the block. What does it mean for us to take our faith out of the clouds and onto the concrete? What does it mean for the brothers and sisters walking past this church each and every day to hear that God loved us and sent his son Jesus into the world? When we talk about Christmas on the block we're asking you to consider what this good news means for people and for places that have historically been overlooked, overvalued, undervalued, and misrepresented by others. The question that we're sitting with today and all throughout this Advent season is this. What is the good news that Jesus brings? What is this gift that has come to us in this season? And what does that mean for those who have been called outsiders. What does Jesus's birth mean for racial and ethnic minorities? What does Jesus's birth mean for women? What does it mean for common laborers? What does it mean for the poor? What does Jesus's birth mean for the immigrant? What does it mean for the homeless? What does it mean for brothers and sisters who are incarcerated, are formerly incarcerated, and are spending their first few weeks out of the system. Over the next several weeks, we're going to wrestle with these questions and more. In this first week, we're going to talk about hope, the topic of hope. What does it mean for hope to be on the block? What does it mean for this divine hope to reach real people? Next week, we're going to talk about peace. What does it mean for peace to come to the block? In week three, we're going to talk about joy. What does it mean for joy to come to the block? In week four, We'll look at love, the topic of love. What does it mean to say that God's divine love has come to the block? And then on Tuesday, December 24th at 4 p.m., we're going to celebrate a special candlelight Christmas service. And we invite you to come and bring friends and be a part of that special night as we remember the birth of Jesus. 
in this Advent season, I'm calling us, the Sanctuary Covenant Church, this urban multi-ethnic congregation to celebrate with great joy the good news that Christ Jesus has come and is coming again to reign with care and compassion. I'm calling us to live fully into the already but not yet reality that is the kingdom of God. And I'm inviting you to join me, brothers and sisters, in praying that the Holy Spirit would enliven us would awaken our imaginations, would empower us to live out the deliverance, the renewal, the wholeness that is breaking forth into the world right here and right now and will be experienced fully on that great day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, the early service was the quiet service. So by default, you all have to make a little noise. You got to help me preach this thing. I can't do it by myself. As we talk about hope on the block, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to look with me at the book of Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah chapter 33 is our text for today. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to appear on the screen so that we can consider this text together. Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. And here's what the Word of God says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. Verse 16, in those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Verse 16 again, in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. When we look at God's word, the Holy Scriptures, this this idea of hope is a confident expectation for the future. Many, many would argue that to be alive and to be healthy is to be hopeful. The wisdom writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says this in chapter 9, verse 4, anyone who is among the living has hope, for even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Helps us to see that to be alive is to be hopeful, it seems. Wisdom writers remind us over and over, though, that not all hope is created equal. Not all hope is good hope. The wisdom book of Proverbs says of the hope of the wicked that their hope leads to nothing. Their hope ends in wrath. Their hope will be snuffed out in the last days. And so when it comes to hope, what matters is not just whether or not one has hope, but the object and the source of that hope matters as Well, brothers and sisters, this is good news for us as followers of Jesus, because at our best, our hope is placed in God. Hope for the believer is a total grounding of one's confidence and expectation in God's goodness and in God's providential care, even in the midst of incredible trouble. And as we mature to the point of grounding our hope in God, that hope strengthens us. It it encourages us, it equips us, and it assures us. And when our hope is in God, it gives us the motivation to live this Christian life 
regardless of the circumstances and the trials that come our way. Our text for today is a set of verses that helps us to see why Advent is indeed a season of hope. Our text today is an Old Testament prophecy, and our prophet, the one chosen by God to deliver this message, is none other than our brother Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the more well-known of the prophets, and his words in many circles are quoted to no end. You you have no doubt heard it yourself. Uh, Perhaps you're here today and you are even guilty of doing this yourself, guilty of quoting the words of the prophet Jeremiah out of context when he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I've heard people quote that all out of context to uh, convince themselves to buy cars they can afford, to try and squeeze in on somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, I, I hope nobody like that is in this room. But we know Jeremiah's words. We quote Jeremiah from time to time, and and some of us all the time, but if this is your go-to verse, I want to speak some good news to you today. Jeremiah says some other incredible things as well, including our text today, where Jeremiah points his original audience, and he points those of us in this room towards a hope and a future that is ours in this life and in the life to come. I want to take a moment and walk through a little bit, do a little Sunday school teaching, if I could, about this brother Jeremiah, because it's important for us to understand the context so that we can know why this is such a weighty message for hope. Jeremiah was a prophet who was quite young when God called him into the ministry. Jeremiah chapter 1 tells the story of his calling. You may recall these words. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's response is a very natural one. Jeremiah says, sovereign Lord, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. You you must have made a mistake. The Lord replies to Jeremiah, not allowing him to back out. And he tells him, Jeremiah, you must go everywhere that the Lord sends you and say whatever the Lord commands you to say. God says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid of the people I'm sending you to, for I am with you and I will rescue you. Jeremiah grew as a prophet. And it's well known by reading the scriptures that Jeremiah wrestled with the emotional and spiritual weight of ministry. Jeremiah is known, if you read his book, about despair. He's known for grief. He's known for discomfort. He's known for lodging complaints against God. It's all well documented in the life of this brother, this weeping prophet we call Jeremiah. You see, Jeremiah was able to do all of this out of a deep love for God. Jeremiah loved God passionately, and he cared for the people that God had sent him to. Jeremiah prophesied to the people about this God who was deeply familiar, about this God who loved them, about this God who had a deep and abiding intimacy with them, this God who wanted to be involved in the dealings of his people. And unlike the false gods all around them, Jeremiah tried to help the people 
so that they would see that the God of Israel was personal. He knew their hearts. He, he, he wanted to bless the people according to his will and as a result of their obedience. For Jeremiah, the greatest sin that Israel could commit was to turn away from God and serve others. But no matter how much Jeremiah loved the people, no, no, much, no, no matter how much he put forth his best effort, God's people continued in the way of idolatry. They continued to worship false gods. They continued to worship man-made idols. And they continued to be immoral. Even the religious leaders among them turned away from God. And because of his deep love for God, because of their increased idolatry, because of their increased immorality, a major portion of Jeremiah's message as you read his book is a condemnation of the people. Jeremiah pronounced judgment against his own people. He went to great lengths to help them to see that the conditions they were living in, being taken away from their homeland and forced to live in captivity, was the result of the fact that they had rejected God. And even though it was a hard message to bring, And even though Jeremiah loved his people, he shared this hard message with them. And in the midst of that hard message, though, Jeremiah also brought a message of hope. Jeremiah said to the people, you've turned away from God. Your your sins are great before God. You are suffering greatly because of your disobedience against God. But in the same breath, Jeremiah said, but the judgment of the Lord against you will not last forever. Jeremiah said, even though you've rejected God, God has not rejected you. Even though you've turned away from God, God has not turned away from you. He he says to them in the midst of pronouncing judgment against them, he says, after 70 years, God will come to you and free you. He says to them, after 70 years, God will restore you to your land. He says to them, after 70 years, the hands of the oppressor will be taking off of you and God will raise up a ruler, a righteous king who is just to lead you because you are his people. Now with that context, I want to invite us to look again at our text for today. And I'm hoping that we will understand and read these words in a different way. Jeremiah was writing to a people who were in captivity, a people who had turned away from God and were suffering the, the, the impact and the effect of turning away from God. And in the midst of pronouncing judgment against them, Jeremiah brings to them a message of hope. Here's what those words say. Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning with verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Jeremiah's words to the people of Israel, to to the nation of Judah, was a word for that day, and it is a word for us today. 
And as we seek to understand the hope that comes to us in this Advent season, Jeremiah's prophecy is critical for us. How is it critical for us? How does this prophecy from Jeremiah help us to understand Advent? That is an incredible set of questions, and I'm so glad somebody asked it for us today. Here's my first point as we move towards the end of the sermon and to the end of our service through communion. This prophecy that comes from Jeremiah to his people who are in captivity helps us to see that Advent hope operates on multiple levels all at once. In this prophecy from Jeremiah, we see that Advent hope operates on multiple levels all at once. Jeremiah brings to us and to this people, the original audience, an announcement of deliverance that is already happening but is not yet complete. And this word from Jeremiah offered hope to both his immediate audience and to those future listeners like us today. This prophecy that Jeremiah had, this message of hope, was a message for the immediate sufferings of God's people. But at the very same time, this message also carried a richer, more broad message of hope for all of creation. This message, brothers and sisters, was functioning on multiple planes. It was a message for Judah, and it's a message for all the nations. It was for them, and it is for us. It's a message of hope for that day as they were suffering in captivity, but it's also a glorious message of what was yet to come. As I studied all this week, in the midst of trying to handle my leftovers, looking over this word, (laughs) the song that kept coming to mind, you can laugh, we laugh in church, it's okay. The song that kept coming to mind was, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. O God, our Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. But that second verse says something special to me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousands beside. It's that last line, that next to last line, that helps us to understand Jeremiah's prophecy a little bit. And it helps us to understand our Advent hope, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. You see, our Advent hope is rooted in God's promises and God's activities for both today and for tomorrow, for this life and for the life to come. Brothers and sisters, this Advent hope helps us to see that God is faithful to address our day-to-day realities while at the very same time lifting our attention to that great day when God's kingdom will fully break through and all of creation will experience God's rule and reign. You see, one of the things that this life does to us is this life entangles us in struggle so much that all we can think about is making it. All we can think about is surviving, but God meets us in our day-to-day realities, but God also lifts our attention beyond the day-to-day so that we will know that a day is coming when God will wipe away all our tears, where we won't have to pray for healing because there will be no more sickness. We, We won't have to pray that God would protect us from death because death will be no more. 
This Advent hope helps us to live into the already, but not yet. It reminds us to look beyond the contemporary despair, beyond the disappointments, beyond the disasters, and not as a way of of, of escapism, but because we know by faith that these things don't have the last say. So I don't know who I'm speaking to in this room right now. You may be struggling. You might be holding on. You, you, You might be just struggling to make it. You probably barely made it here. But the good news of Advent for you today is that this trouble that you feel right now won't last always. Advent hopes, looks at the challenges of the moment, no matter how breathtaking they are, and it declares that the Lord is faithful and that the Lord has not forgotten you. This Advent hope tells us that we can be present and attentive to what's happening right now, but we should not lose sight of the fact that there is a day that is on the way when God will meet us in our struggle And we'll remove all the pain, all the suffering, all the doubt, and everything will be made okay. Jeremiah's words help us to see that there is hope for today and for tomorrow. Already, but not yet. I can't see it, but I know it's already happening. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, this Advent hope says that God is operating on multiple levels all at the same time. The second thing this Advent hope teaches us today is that there is deliverance for people in places that have been seen as outsiders. There is deliverance in this season of Advent for people in places that have been deemed as outsiders. I'm suggesting this morning that this Advent hope is good news for those who have been outcast, those who are the downtrodden, those who are the rejected, those who don't have a fancy last name that means something here in Minnesota. I don't know what they are, Dayton's and um, some of those other last names. This Advent hope says that there's good news for those of us who are the forgotten, those of us who have been looked at and devalued, those of us who have been prejudiced, who who have experienced prejudice in our life. You see, this is good news because Jeremiah's prophecy came first to a people who were the outcasts. You see, God chose Israel not because they were mighty, but because they weren't mighty. He chose them not because they were rich, but because they were lowly. And throughout God's journey with ancient Israel, God raised up leaders who were unlikely, leaders who were unheralded, leaders who were outsiders. And God placed all sorts of esteem on them, and he assigned them great assignments. He he said he would use them as a light to all nations. And if you've read the Old Testament, you know Israel didn't get the assignment right very often. They failed God time and time again. When they they failed God, though, God did not abandon them. He corrected them, and he met them with grace and mercy. And it is God's journey with Israel that gives us hope today to know that Advent is a season of hope for outsiders. 
It's a season of hope for those who are mess ups. It's a season of hope for those who are awkward. You don't have to be on the VIP list to be a part of God's economy. See, there's room in God's economy for the unlikely, for the underdog. And in fact, the outsider is the guest of honor in God's economy. The rejected is the one who is now accepted. The oppressed is the one who is honored. The weak has been made strong, and the slave hears a message from the Lord that says, you are no longer a slave, you are now a child of God. See, this is God's heart, and it's on display for us in this season. And so perhaps you're here today, and you're keenly aware, you've come to the point in your life where you realize that you don't have it all together. You see, there's a, there's a point of maturity of being able to be honest about the fact that I don't have it all together. But if you have been rejected, if you are the marginalized, if you are the oppressed, if you're sitting here today feeling unloved and unknown, the good news of Advent says to you that Jesus comes and brings deliverance for those who are deemed outsiders. Jesus does this. Because this was Jesus' story as well. Scripture tells us the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Because Jesus is familiar with rejection, he comes and brings deliverance for those of us who feel rejected as well. So my prayer today is that regardless of what it is that has caused you to feel like the outsider, that you would be encouraged in this season of Advent, that you would have a sense of hope about you because the God of all creation knows you, loves you, comes to you, and is coming again. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the ways in which you love us. Thank you, God, that in this season of Advent, that you help us to know that love. God, you could have been some distant, far-off God, somewhere out in the cosmos, pulling strings, moving things around, distant from us, but you loved us with such a radical kind of love that you left your place in glory, and you came and dwelt among us. Lord, in this season of Advent, that's what we celebrate. That's what we remember, that you were Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, because you have come, we know that your word teaches us you will come again. So even as we celebrate the fact that you came as a baby, we also look forward with anticipation for the day when you will come again with all power and full glory. Death will be defeated. No more sickness. No more pain. No more loss. God, your word even says there'll be no need for the sun and the moon. For your glory will provide us all the light we need. Lord, we look forward to that. 
as we walk up and down these streets and serve in various places around the Twin Cities. Lord, we are more than familiar with the brokenness of this world. But we don't lose hope because you've promised that you are with us. We know that in that day, you will come again. Help us now, Lord, to know what it is to live faithfully in the in-between. Help us to know, God, you've loved us. And the more quirky we are, the more you're willing to use us. Thank you for loving the outsider. Thank you for loving the rejected. Thank you for coming to us, being our Lord and Savior. So bless us now, O oh God, as we continue to celebrate your goodness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.